Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and thank you for joining in this year. It's the week of Christmas, and I hope you get the time to reflect on the year that was and look forward to the year ahead, 2021, as we all are. Enjoy the holiday season. Enjoy the time with your families, friends, and loved ones. Value that, and I look forward to spending more time in your ears next year as we bring you more My Love of Golf content. Today's episode is with a very good friend of mine and someone from my formative years as a junior golfer up there in Cessnock at the Jack Newton Sub-Junior Classic. Yes, it's the one and only Gabriel Hertzstedt. If that name doesn't come top of mind for you, Gabriel was actually Sweden's first ever winner on the PGA Tour. Yes, a two-time PGA Tour winner. What a privilege to have Gabriel on the My Love of Golf podcast today. Great guy. In America now, has been for a number of years since uh, his time on the PGA Tour came to an end, and I really do think that you'll we'll get a lot out of this episode. A little bit of uh, blast from my past, but certainly someone who you would have heard of, you may have heard of, and you'll definitely hear more of in the future as he looks towards moving into the Seniors Tour. Enjoy this episode with Gabriel Hurst, a very, very good friend of mine. It was great to get his time. The, the audio in this, he was in his car driving around to LA. Uh, you might hear some barking dogs, though my dogs are uh, wanting to be fed. But uh, nonetheless, you know, you take these opportunities when they present, and it was great to get 45 minutes or an hour or so with Gabriel talking about his world, a little bit of PGA Tour time, but more so his uh, world now as a coach, and uh, some real value in here for those of you that have young golfers in your life, young kids that might be looking to get into golf, and if you're a parent supporting them, some also uh, some insights from Gabriel's world as a coach over there, working with some fine up-and-coming young talent, and also some uh, some highly high-level golfers as well. So enjoy this episode with Gabriel Hertzstedt. As I said, Sweden's first ever PGA Tour winner and a two-time winner on the PGA Tour. Our first PGA Tour winner on the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks for listening. From might hear from me again uh, before the end of the year. Maybe we might try and get rocking and have a little bit of a 2020 wrap. Jump over, subscribe, like, do all of that wonderful stuff that really helps uh, the podcast. Uh, that'd be a lovely Christmas present from you to leave me a review, leave me a message, leave Rocket a message. But anyways, enjoy the holiday season. And I look forward to seeing you again on the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks for listening. It's one of those things. It's like I drive a manual. Not a lot of people drive manuals, but it's like, and I've hit a blade. I like in the blade. It's like you know, it's going to be a little bit challenging, you know. So it's it's like everything today is just made easier and easier. And I think we lose a lot of skills, you know. So it's like it's, it's interesting. I mean, we obviously pick up new skills, but there's certain skills that are kind of fun, you know. A lot of people, you throw the keys to someone and they go, oh, I can't do this. Gabriel Hertzstedt, all the way in Los Angeles, California right now. Welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. Young man, it's been a long time between drinks, so to speak, for you and I, but uh, it's great to finally catch up with you and uh, and get the chance to chat to you. How are you, sir? No, I'm doing great, and thank you for having me on. It's, it's my pleasure. It's been great to uh, you know follow your journey. Basically, since I think we just spoke then, the last time we would have 
chatted or sp- spoke or been together was about 30 plus years ago. So it's been a real honour to have known you all that time ago and then followed your journey in a wide and varied path, all in the golf space over that time. And it's been, you know, a real honour for me to be able to follow it. So, Gabriel, you find yourself in LA right now. Tell us what's keeping you busy now, mate. Yeah, so I teach golf. You know, I'm, I'm still like, you know, being on the golf course. I feel like, you know, the teaching part, I don't know, I never really thought that I was going to be a coach, but I enjoy it, you know. I think there's a lot of things I could have done when I stopped playing, but I like being on the golf course. I like being busy. That's one of the main things. It's like the same thing back in the day. I used to love practicing, you know, 10-hour, 12-hour day was okay for me because I really enjoyed being busy. And, uh, you know, teaching the game to really broad spectrum of players, you take anyone from a... Uh, yeah, a beginner to a professional PGA Tour player, it's kind of fun, you know. It takes a, you know, it's a certain way you sort of look at someone and you sort of figure out how you can help them without saying too much. And I think that's the key in being a successful coach now is, you know, you want to get across information without making them confused. When did it dawn on you that that you wanted to take your post PGA Tour career into the coaching space? When, when did you realise that you had this, you know, gift? And I think every everyone who coaches on every level, whether it be golf, personal, business, has a gift. When did you realise that uh, that was going to be your thing, mate? Uh, I kind of just fell into it. It was like, you know, because I was, I was injured at the time when I stopped playing. I figured i got to do something while I'm trying to heal up. So I started coaching a little bit. And, uh, you know, two surgeries later and seven years later, I was still teaching. So, you know, now I've been going at it for maybe... 10 years or so, but, uh, and it's an interesting clientele, you know, that's, that's the part that's fun to me is the, the stimulus that I get from some of my clients that I hang out with and, uh, get to share some of their experiences too. So from what I gather, some of your clients that you're mentioning there, you know, you've got some future stars on the books, you know, some young guys and, and girls that, uh, I see kicking about, you've got some, yeah. Uh, people that you know play the golf professionally some PGA Tour guys uh, a couple of young ladies on the tour um, as well I, I love seeing all these people just pop up into into your uh, into your world of coaching but is, is short game your specialty or you know you coach on everything but you know you really do focus on short game with your high end clients you know your more skilled clients I guess so to speak yeah, so the, the tour players mainly a lot of short game because I feel like most of those guys have swing coaches already. So I come in as a, I would call a team member and, you know, kind of work on the little short game and stuff like that. But um, and then, you know, I teach the full game for all the young kids that I work with. And uh, really, it's, it's a broad spectrum, yeah. you know. And a, and a lot of it has to do with getting confidence into these kids to understand that they can really do it, you know. Because what happens, everyone, all the kids start at different ages. So you have a kid that maybe started eight years old, and then you have a kid that starts at 11. It's a big difference between them and their game. But you realize if they work hard between 12 to 17, they can catch up. You know, so so that's the part that, you know, you got to instill on some of these kids because they go out and play with someone else and they just really kind of come close to competing but at that early age it doesn't matter that much if they're willing to work at it talking about kids and continue continuing on there for a second 
do you find you have to spend maybe not as much time but some time coaching the parents as well of the young kids or or do you have to give advice to the parents to say you know we're on this journey this is where we're going and you know your role in this is whatever you know is that is that some part of it yeah most definitely so what's interesting with that is and and this is i kind of look at a difference a lot of coaches will tell their parents listen I don't want you around when I'm coaching your kid, you know? Mm. I look at it as like the parents as a team member, and I don't mind them being around because I know they're the people that are going to, sh- you know, drive them around everywhere or take them to tournaments and stuff. So, and what I have the parents do a lot of the time is take videos while the kids are playing, you know, and send it to me so I can sort of see what's going on. And, you know, I think creating that, you know, bond between you know, both parties, because it is a team sport for the parents. I mean, the way they, you know, take them around everywhere, you know, drive them backwards and forwards. I I feel like, and then also, you know, when they're around, I can talk to them how they really should approach certain things with their kids. You know, I can see how they try to coach their kids sometimes, and I'll just tell them, listen, I'm the coach, you're the parents, but this is what you can do. This will be your role on the golf course to help us, you know, so... There's little things like that that I know a lot of other coaches say, listen, just want the parents out of there. I know they're going to be together all the time traveling, so I just make them a part of the team. What would you, yeah. you know, if there's someone listening to you and I chat here and uh, they've got a young young kid that might you know, have a little set of golf clubs or one club or something that they knock a plastic ball or wiffle ball around the backyard or something, but they might show some potential, they might want to get into golf. What would you say to a parent who has a young kid that hasn't really embarked on his journey of golf what would you say just do this or just don't do this or whatever yeah i think the most important thing is and this is the most difficult part i would say out of any of this is finding a club where they had some kids you know so i mean it's like you want to have the golf club as the playground and whether you're a beginner or whatever but if, if you have a, an atmosphere at a club where there's five 10 or 15 kids or 20 kids they can actually pal around and practice, that's when you start seeing results, you know? So that's the hard part to find. And I, I see a lot of times here in the U.S., it's, you know, you've got a lot of private clubs, expensive clubs, so it's difficult to get that sort of environment. Like I had a cool and got a Tweed Heads where, you know, membership, I just gone back a long time, but still the membership was 50 bucks a year. Anyone could hang out and became a playground. So I think any time that you create a playground for young kids, that's when you see results because they practice more. You know, they want to be on the golf course more. So uh, the perfect scenario would be a nice club with a lot of kids and you're going to produce good golfers. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's exactly that. And you mentioned that playground-type environment that you grew up in at Coolangatta Tweed. It's certainly, and we'll talk about, you know, back in the day in a little bit, but certainly it was like a playground, babysitting slash playground slash, uh, you know, whatever way you want to call it, where, where, where I grew up playing golf. So, I, yeah, I agree. And, and it's a rare club, I think, these days that, that can engender and embrace that type of concept and let kids from members and non-members come down and do that. But, uh, you know, if there is anyone listening from Clubland who, who tunes into this podcast, you know, that's, you, you know, you've heard it from one of the, you know, one of the best golfers uh, that I know and certainly uh, one of the best coaches uh, getting around in, um, in the state. So uh, there it is from him. Now, mate, what about the tour guys and the elite guys that you're working with? Who, if you can say, you know, who are you currently, uh, 
you know, engaging with or chatting to on a coaching uh, level? Right, yeah, right now I've only got uh, one guy, so Kramer Hickok. He's, uh, you know, it's his second year out on tour. We do a little bit of work together, but I really try to shut that down a little bit. Yep. Uh, my goal is to get my game ready and maybe start, start playing here a little bit again in about 18 months. So I'm trying to focus a little bit on, you know, doing what I'm doing and starting to practice a little bit more. So, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed working with a lot of the guys. The hard part for me was getting back out on tour and working with them there where, you know, you played for so many years, you want to get back out and playing, yeah. you know, once you see their environment. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, it was several years there. I had like, you know, six, seven guys that I've worked with consistently. And, you know, it's challenging working with these, uh, you know, top world-class tour players. You know, they all want want the lesson at the same time of day. So yeah. you got to boss, boss them around a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, and, and the people that get to play it often, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, you travel around the world and play golf. I mean, you could stay in Australia and really play the best golf courses in the world, as you know. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting game. It's, it's you, you meet a lot of people, and it's such a difficult game that, you know, unless you've done it your whole life, you're never really going to be great at it. So uh, you mentioned there yeah. in, in 18 months' time. So I just... Uh I just had a birthday yesterday, and I'm, I'm, if I was a tour player, I'd be a year away from playing on the seniors tour. So I guess that's what you're uh, talking about, because I think we're both 71, no. 71 guys. So, no. um, yeah, exactly. So and I feel like uh, what I need to be doing is, you know, what I want to do, what I'd like to do would be, you know, to get my game halfway ready now for the fall season and start doing some Monday qualifiers and competing a little bit more. And... Just see where it's at. You know, I've got my clubhead speed is great. I've still got, you know, I'm pretty much average 118 miles an hour. I can bring it up over 120 still, which is, you know, it's above the tour. It's above the normal tour average, is it not? It's about yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I don't. I don't really get hit by any of the tour guys. I think if you can bring that sort of speed onto the senior tour, and you know, the difference is you haven't. You don't forget how to compete. But when you haven't competed in a while, you get a little jittery, and those sort of things that you got to get out before you get it. Yeah, tournament tough. That's all it is. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I, I uh, well, I love hearing that. that that's the uh, part of the plan. That uh, gives me even more reason to uh, to follow along. And I can't wait. I yeah. can, you know. So part of that speed that you're generating, you know, one of the things that. Uh, I'd love to get my hands on, and I don't know if you shipped them down to Australia or if you have shipped any down here, your speed trainer. Talk to me about yeah. the speed trainer, the, the, the Gabe Golf uh, speed trainer. Yeah, so actually I got, somehow I got lucky with a little invention that I came up with, and I, I created this speed pipe. It's, you know, it's a, it's a first-year production. But it actually, you, you gain crazy amounts of speed. I got guys scanning tour guys getting two miles to three miles an hour in the first 10 minutes. So it's, uh, and I, I use that. So, I mean, you know, to me, I do my workouts and I look at like, you got to obviously have a strong body to slow the club down. But, uh, you know, workout stay strong, but then it's all about, so the speed training, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there and it's really about doing bursts, maybe five, six, seven swings, 
And, you know, a lot of people try to swing a lot of swings to get fast. But, you know, and I'll show you that. I should send you one of those speed pipes so you can try it out. But it's, it's really about just connecting your brain to your muscles to go faster. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's it. There's no, no other secret. And, you know, as, as a young kid, I mean, as Charlie opened my coach and he said, hit it as hard as you can, you know, and that's going back 30 years ago. And I think a lot of the Australian kids had that mentality because Greg Norman, so they learned to really pound it. And I mean, that, that is probably the best lesson I've ever had, you know, because yeah. I always hit a long way and it's a huge advantage. Yeah, speed. You know, if you've got if you've got the ability, you know, swing ability, speed's always going to be a friend. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like. Yeah. You know, I can't wait to try it, and you know, hopefully we can work out that yeah. I can get one. But just that what you're saying there, and just the sequencing, sweet sequencing of the swing. You know, there are a number of speed trainers out there, but you know, the fact that with yours, that you can get it to the top, load up, and then release, and the sequencing is, you know, the key. Uh, and then obviously the, the the power then comes with that, you know. I, and, and you can hit the ball, you know. It's a it's a club that you actually hit the ball with. So, you know, there's no more connection yeah. that you that you need is being able to sequence it and hit, yeah, the, and hit, and hit and the thing. And the new one is the new one is a little different because I've got an adjustable resistor on it, so it's actually a pipe. That, oh, right. uh, you know, almost it's, it's 43 inches. Yeah. And it's a pipe, and uh, you know, it throws down a ball bearing down the, down the shaft. So it's uh, it's pretty. It, it's it's it actually works works really really good. So, yeah, good. but you know, back in the day when we were kids, I mean, you try I had driving comps with everyone, you know. So that was, and and I remember a lot of other kids around the world that we play with. They might have had coaches that say swing it smooth because that's the way it should be. Those guys couldn't play professional golf. They could play amateur golf, but they couldn't play professional golf because they weren't long enough. Mm. So, mate, let's let's uh, let's talk about back in the day. So, you mentioned Coolangatta uh, Tweed Heads is where you you learnt your craft as a as a young junior golfer. But you're Swedish. You're not Australian. Do you? Yeah. What do you remember of the time when your parents said, "That's it, gang. We're off to we're off to Australia." was probably the most unique experience anyone could ever have. You know, you, my parents said they picked up and left and went down to Australia. So, you know, they, they just pretty much just threw us into school. You know, you didn't know any English, but you figured it out after a few weeks, you know. And, you know, it was a very unique experience because you take a kid, you know, a 10-year-old kid, only language he's got is Swedish, and all of a sudden you put him in a school with environments totally different and you know, you think about completely different, different sports, different rules, everything. So it was was pretty crazy for the brain, I think, to adapt to what's going on. And I remember back in the day, we had a headmaster. He'd walk around with a cane. And if someone was out of line, they'd smack him with a cane. And I mean, that was like, that would never have been allowed in Sweden. So, <laughs> But I think it was good. So that was in Benora Point, and and you know you you wouldn't have looked out of place in Benora Point, you know, with the the blonde hair in amongst the surfers. But certainly, as you just described, then you know, not speaking the language and being from an, another another part of the world, which you know, back in back in the day, you know, not many guys from Benora Point would have been you know experienced enough to have travelled to to Sweden or out of the out of the the environment, basically. So it would have been um, amazing. You started playing golf at what age? 
uh, 10 when I came to Australia. I yeah. played a little bit in Sweden. And, you know, at 10 years old when I came to Australia, I, you know, I uh, started playing a lot more. And, uh, you know, and even the first shot I ever hit, I really felt like, oh, this is so good, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to just do it more and more and more. And you mentioned that playground that Coolangatta Tweed had and, you know, they were, I think they were, back in the day they were quite um, well regarded and well known for, you know, their junior uh, contingent and they produced a lot of a lot of talent for, in that area. Where yeah. we where we met, do you do you remember do you remember those days? You know, you guys coming down to uh, the Hunter Valley and playing in those uh, Jack Newton. No, I know, I know. I used to love that Jack Newton. I was always, I mean, that was tough golf. You know, in the beginning as kids. You know, you think about it. You know, because we're pretty young and playing a real golf course, like a long, nice golf course. And uh, you know, having to come down and, and stay with people that you didn't know, like you know, that's how yeah. we, that's how we got to know you. I think you stayed with us for a couple of years. No, no, exactly. And exactly. Uh, you know, putting up with my parents and their and their weird Scottish accents. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? But, all but, that? but all that, all that is unique. You know, it's like you, you sort of you look at it like and. And, but, but you, you know, if you realize what was going on in that environment and that how it produced so many good players, you know, when you think about it. So how could that have happened? You know, you got in Australia, a small population, not very many golfers really in our era. I mean, when you think about it, it wasn't that many players. But a lot of people got out around the world and play at tours and stuff. And I think it was just one, good weather, two, good golf courses, three, great competition. You know, that's all it was. And decent coaching, you know. So you had those. Plus you had someone, Greg Norman, that everyone went, wow. You know, he could do it so we could probably do it. So you had someone that had done it. So all of a sudden you created this belief in all these kids and a competitive environment. That's how it happened, you know. My um, my memories of those tournaments, you know, I, I was not as good as you guys. You know, there was who were some of the contemporaries that that was that we were playing with around then. There was you, uh, Hensby, Mark Hensby was the other sort of yeah. most notable yeah. around that time. Exactly. I think uh, what I remember, you and he had quite a strong rivalry around that time. You know, he was from New South Wales, you were from Queensland, representing Queensland. Uh, there was a pretty healthy rivalry there. Uh, any other names yeah. that, that that come to mind there? I, 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 my, my yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so Robert Allenby and Stuart Appleby, I mean, they were a little different. They didn't, we didn't play that much junior golf for them. But you had Shane Tate, you know, like Shane, Shane Tate, Marty Robert. But like, you had Shane Tate was like at 14. I mean, I remember playing with him. I was like a year younger than him or maybe six months younger than him. He was out driving me about 90 yards, almost 100 yeah. yards yeah. every time we played. And I'm just thinking, how am I ever going to beat this guy? You know? And you're just like, how is it even possible? And, you know, I think what happened to a kid like that, I mean, he was like, you'd always look at top of the leaderboard, Shane Tate was there, you know? That was like a given. But I think uh, he was not in the correct environment, you know, to really, if someone would have taken him and taken him to the U.S. at 15, I mean, it would have been... Totally different deal. So I think I've never seen anyone with that much talent. I mean, even, you know, it was incredible. Well, another product of the Flanagan family household, I'll tell you a funny story. It was not a funny story, but a story when I realised that I wasn't cut out for golf at the level that you guys were. And Shane was staying with us. 
And really, you know, you, well, he stayed the two years before you stayed with us. And yeah, you know, you know, we only had a small house and all of that sort of thing. And I think we sh- shared, you know, the, the fold out bed would come out into my room, exactly. share, share the room. Now, I got up one morning, I can't remember what time it was, but it came out. Mum was already making Shane his breakfast. He was uh, dressed in his golf gear. Remember back in the day, it was long socks and his, you know, yeah. red, red Queensland vest. And I sit down. I sit down and have the toast and the and whatever else Mum would make. And um, I said, right, we'll we'll go and hit some balls in half an hour. It's maybe like eight o'clock in the morning. He says, I, yeah. I, I've already been. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I yeah. turn I turn around and look at my mum. Did you yeah. drive up? Did you drive Shane up to the golf course? And he walked yeah. up. He walked up. It was only like three or four k's for me back in yeah. the day as a kid. It was a it was a mile. But he had walked up at five a.m., hit a hundred balls, yeah. picked them up. Walked yeah. back, walked back home. Was there ready to go? So that's when I realised. Yeah. I thought, you know, this probably isn't isn't my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting. I mean, because I really thought, even at fifteen, sixteen, you know, I like okay, I always looked at him and said, you know, this guy's going to win majors. You know, yeah, he was a, he was a, but, he, was a um, brute. he was a brute. It's different up there now, mate. You know, like I'm, you haven't been. I'm not sure when was the last time you were in Coolangatta, let alone the Hunter Valley. But uh, it is different up there. Yeah. You know, the the old golf course that we played as juniors uh, in that tournament uh, is no longer. It's yeah. still, the course is still there, but it's been redeveloped. It's actually closed at the moment. It'll reopen at some stage, but it's all a bit different. You know, and sadly, the amount of juniors playing golf up there is certainly a different amount of juniors as well. So, but I, yeah. I was just about to say the last time that I think we ever spoke, I was starting my first ever job and um, I drove you in my mum's Corona down the freeway from Cessnock to Sydney and dropped you off I think in King's Cross bundled you out of the car with your golf bag and your uh, and your um, suitcase and you took you took a taxi from King's Cross down to the airport and I turned left and went to my first ever day of my ever uh, adult life job so I think it was the last time we ever saw that and I don't know if you remember that yeah Maroon Toyota Corona and me driving down to Sydney for the first ever time, but uh, I think that was the last time. There you go. Yeah, that's crazy. Time flies. We're yeah. only here for a short time. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So you have got to make the most yeah. of it. Let's. But I, but I look at like junior golf. I think it's you know it's you know it's sad, but there's too many options now for kids. That's what yeah. it is. We didn't have any options. It was like you know what, either go to the golf because I do nothing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> when. So. How, how how supportive were you know your parents? You know, I think I obviously know the answer, but I want you to describe yeah. it. And I remember I remember your dad uh, Steve having a chat with my dad, and and I think when my dad realised that I wasn't cut out to play golf at professional levels, when Steve turned to my dad, and I think dad said to to your dad, um, "What's what's Gabriel going to do when he finishes school?" Because we were getting to that age, and yeah. you know, and he's. Swedish English accent. He says, "You know, he works for me on the golf course," and yeah. it was that sort of that sort of concept. But you know, it was very clearly what he meant yeah. was, you know, you're going to focus on your golf and get the most out of it. And my dad looked at me. He said, "You ain't doing that, kiddo." So, um, no, no, exactly. And then that was crazy. I mean, I left school at sixteen. I yeah. mean, I just don't. And and all I said was, "Drop me off at first light and don't pick me up until it's dark." Yeah, that's and cool. I did that for two years. Yeah, you know, every day. And you know, I was it was no plan B for me. Yeah. It was plan plan A. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it was you know, people said, you know, even when I turned pro, 
I mean, my dad said, you know, you should probably do get a bar job, and you know, so you can support yourself a little bit. And I was like, I, 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 my, I was so focused on making it that I don't know, it just, it just happened, you know. And listen, it was up and downs. It's been up and downs the whole time. Did I have the career that I thought I was going to have? No, I wanted to do a lot better. That injuries and other stuff, you know, come in. It's like, you know, I felt like it was. I felt like I left a lot on the table because of injuries. But uh, you know what? You just uh, make the best of it. And it's not over yet for me. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pumped. To, I'm pumped to hear that uh, that uh, you've got you've got plans because um, you know I think you do really well out there, mate. Back, back. Yeah. Your first big win. What was your first big as a as a amateur? Was it the Doug Sanders? Yeah. Was it the, was it the Doug Sanders? Yeah, it was the Doug. Yeah, it was the Doug Sanders. I won the European Boys that same year, and then uh, the Doug Sanders. And uh, no, it just gave me a little bit of confidence. And then uh, from there, you know, winning the Eisenhower Trophy was. Uh, you know, it was fun to be in a, in a team event. And I remember right after that Eisenhower Trophy, I made up my mind that I was going to turn pro. And I remember going to Charlie Earp because I was really nervous about turning pro. You know, I mean, it's, I was 18, it's before, six weeks before my 19th birthday. And I remember going to Charlie and I said, Charlie, I'm going to turn pro. And he looks at me and he goes, you know why they make money flat? And I said, no. So you can stack it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what was interesting about that was because you know a lot of coaches might have said listen it's too, it's too early for you to go but he made me believe that I could do it yeah. you know those words right there I was like good I'm going so that, you know it's interesting stuff like that because that's when you need good people around you to make you believe I mean obviously you got a vision but so many times when you have a vision, people will say something or steer you in other directions, yeah. you know? And I think he was amazing at that to make you believe they can do it, you know? So, mate, so. Life, on, life on tour, a couple, a couple of wins on tour. What was, well, if you reflect on your, your two tour wins and the first Swedish player to win on the PGA Tour... Yeah. What was you know, so go on. Yeah, I mean it was it was a weird the whole experience was really weird because, you know, it was my last event before tour school. And you know, I actually had two events left my first season. I was playing shitty the whole season. So and I had two events left. I was tired. So I took my uh wife, my girlfriend at the time. We said, let's go to Spain. So we went to Spain for a week and pretty much just chilled out. I played 18 holes of golf every day with a friend and just relaxed. And then I came back the next week and yeah, it was just, it was just weird. You know, I played terrible the first six holes of the BC Open. I was playing so bad and I looked over at my playing opponent's Sean Murphy, I actually ran into him the other day. He's two under par through seven holes or eight holes. And I'm like two over par. And I just said to my brother, I said, how the hell can this guy be beating me right now? And that's when the trigger just, something went off in my head. Started making birdies and then just went, you know. 
but it was like something made me so mad that I actually manned up and started playing some golf, you know, and who knows, yeah. you know, this game is, this game is crazy because if you think you have it, you probably haven't. <laughs> and sometimes you don't think you have it and all of a sudden it shines. So it's like, um, it's, it's, it's a weird, you know, it's like you try your best all the time. You know, I get this a lot with the, with the parents watching the juniors and he says, you know, my kid just hit it out of bounds. And I said, do you really think you stood up on that tee and said, I'm going to piss my mom and dad off. I'm going to hit this one out of bounds purposely. <laughs> and they go, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, but, uh, it's, in go on. it's interesting still. Yeah, stuff like that is, you know, you're not trying to do something bad. And what about your other win, mate, at the, at the uh, Touchstone in Tucson? So that, that tournament, I think, is no longer turned into eventually into the WGC Accenture Match Play, but uh, it was a pretty significant yeah. tournament back in the day. I think they – did they give out a special trophy? Is it like a helmet or something like that? I can't remember, but uh, – Yeah, you know what? I think that – I think actually what's interesting, both the BC Open and the Tucson Open has been turned into senior events yeah. on the same golf course. So I'll just have to go and repeat when I get out there. I love it. But, but um, I think Tucson, I was in the ball unreal that week. I finished fifth or third in putting, and I won the tournament. You know, it's like I just flushed it all week. And, uh, you know, I knew I was playing well before I got there. Even though I'd missed the cut twice in two events coming in. And it's just a golf course that fit my eye. You know, I felt good around that golf course. I still screwed it up on the last hole in regulation. I three putted from nine feet, but you know I was nervous. But uh, then in the playoff, I I hold a um, hold a thirty thirty five footer for the win. But what's interesting about golf, the golf courses, I like I'm, I'm number eighteen at that uh, Tucson National. I hit a driver two iron. Okay, when we played there, I went there like uh, a couple of years ago and played with the new equipment. I mean, driving nine iron. Yeah, wow. You know? It's just out of control. Difference. Wow. When was the last time you bumped into Tommy Armour, who you beat in the playoff? Yeah, I saw him in Vegas <laughs> about four months ago. <laughs> so, yeah, it was funny. I was sitting in the restaurant and he was in there. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, yeah, I see him around every now and again. You know, and, and that was a weird deal. I mean, I get to the playoff hole, and and he wouldn't shake my hand on the first playoff hole. You know, I, had, I put my hand out, and he just looked at me and turned his back. So which was worked against him because it fueled me. I went from being nervous to super angry. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting how that it's hard to be angry and scared at the same time. So I'd rather play angry. Now, do you, do you do you believe that you were you know started and paved the way for the growth of golf at the professional level at the tour level for the Swedes? You were definitely part of that. Uh, how, do, how, do yeah, you, how do you how do you see that? I think a little bit. I think yes, Panic was always you know the lead player there. You know, I feel like I probably dragged along a few young guys, and uh, you know it was. Yes, but the same year that I won, he, he finished second or third several times. So he was, uh, you know, close to breaking through. But I think uh, once I got a win there, you know, it just 
it sort of snowballed. A lot of people felt like it was doable, you know. It's like the same thing as you watched, you know, as this juniors watching Greg Norman come out of Queensland, Australia, and becoming number one player in the world. You sort of, you just see, listen, if they can do it, we can do it, you know. Yeah. And, that, and that's really what happens to a lot of golfers. They might have a buddy that they're playing golf with all the time, and they might get beat or. Or they might beat him at home, and all of a sudden he's playing the tour, and they say, "You know what? I can play the tour as well. I'm that good." Yeah. yeah well, certainly, uh, you know, using your example there of Greg Norman, you know, he was an inspiration to all of us. But you know, I remember back in that day, the golfers coming out of Queensland were, as you say, and reflect on Shane Tate, but there was a number of other Queenslanders around that time that were just next level, but boys and girls, they were, yeah. they were they were playing in a different a different game to it to a lot of us. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And what about just no, no. talking about golfers that you've come across with? You know, have you got any interesting interesting stories? You know, like you would have played around with all the people that, you know, we hold in the highest regard. You know, there's some great pictures of you you and Tiger on the tee together and so on and so forth. You know, who, st- who stands out or who are, who are the guys that you like to or that you still keep in contact with? I don't really keep in contact with a lot of people, but there's a lot of people I enjoy playing with. I love playing with Greg Norman. I got to play with him quite a few times. Nick Price, another great guy. Played a lot with Sergio. I like playing with him. Um, Tiger is obviously amazing to play with because you're, you know, you're nervous. Yeah. You know, you're a little bit more jacked up than what you normally would be playing golf with him. And, you know, you got the big crowds and stuff like that. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of nice guys out here actually on tour. I think uh, what you end up finding is because it's such a humbling game that, you know, you got a few little guys out there that might be a little mean to rookies and stuff when they come in. But most of the guys are so humbled that, you know, they, they tend to root for you more so than root against you, you know? And uh, you look at the guys that last a long time. I mean, it's pretty amazing some of these guys that play, you know, they're out there for 30 years playing professional golf. I mean, it's very few people are able to do that, you know? And it's, um, you know, it's a lot of factors. But, uh, and you, you watch the golf swings that last a long time too, you know? And it'll be interesting to see if the game changes or people just swinging harder and harder and harder, you know. Shorter careers, maybe. Yeah, I'm well, sure. well, you know, we, we won't jump down that rabbit hole because we'll run out of time. But, um, you know, certainly if you look at what Bryson's doing and all that, and there's so many schools of thoughts and, and you know, takes on, on what he's doing, where he's going with that, absolutely. But last year, was it last year or the year before, you were lucky enough to, from what I saw, travel down to Australia and play a fair bit of golf in a fairly quick series uh, succession of time. Yeah. What, what did you think of the golf that you experienced when you were down here? Because some of that you would have seen before, I, I'd imagine, a long time ago, but but not not some of the courses because some of them are new. What, what did you think? I love it. I think that I think the older courses are still my favourite. I think some of the newer designers they go a little crazy on the greens, you know, but. You know, like you, you go and play a Metropolitan and you're just like, you know what, I could play here every day, yeah. you know. Or um, I think that was actually my favorite golf course, you know. 
and 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 it's uh you know the, the thing is I like playing golf in Melbourne is when you when you stand 170 yards away and you, you hit the green and it's almost like you feel it in your feet. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you you got that thud on the green. You know, it's like it's crazy. It's, you know? it's different. And, and what about the – you went down to King Island. You made it to King Island and Bamboogle, did you not? Yeah, Bamboogle, yeah. We didn't go to King Island. I think uh, it was something – we had to cut that trip short there. Yeah, but, right. uh, yeah, Bamboogle is – it's an interesting golf course. I feel like, uh, you know, there's some good holes there. You know, you start seeing the same thing over and over again. I mean, it's, listen, it's, it's a good design. Yeah. I mean, I, I love sort of playing that sort of golf. Uh, you know, something about playing these courses that have been around 100 years, I don't know what it is. It's yeah. like, you know. And and I'm sure unless they and also golf courses that have big tournaments on them, you know, I think uh, that's what's interesting in playing as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of history there. Well, you played at Royal, and uh, you played at Royal, and um, you know, like the Presidents Cup was here last year, and it was just a massive boon for golf in in Australia. And, and you know, a number of the players, including Tiger, you know, came out and said. We love we love playing this type of golf. You know, this is this yeah. is this is what golf for us. You know, really should be more of. And uh, and we were very yeah. bored as Australians by that. And you're not going to hear any argument from us down here to think that golf should be a little bit firmer and faster and and all of that. And once again, another rabbit hole that we could jump down and you know pick your brain on that. But we've run out of time. Um, well, it was great to see you down here, and I'm glad you enjoyed your time. What's what's day to day life? like for you now like you're in LA now but is LA home now or I, I get the sense that LA is not home no yeah about. yeah Scott, Scottsdale is home but uh, it's become uh, LA has become uh, you know I come out here maybe you know a week a month or 10 days a month to see clients you know this year has been weird because normally I'm in New York during the summer and I was just in Michigan last week for 10 days I mean it's you know with this COVID thing going on the difference between I mean things are still moving in the u.s i know there's a lot of shutdowns in australia but so you're sort of dodging getting COVID and traveling and doing your part you know yeah and it's and it's becoming pretty crazy but um so you know i just don't know you know who knows what's going to be what's going to happen here look and we can only look at it positively and think that uh you know that at some point um it will it will change and we'll get back to you know, to use it. Yeah, and it will. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of people now that have had it, plenty of friends that have had it. Yeah, right. And, you know, some people are, you know, they get a couple of days sick, you know, some people not even feeling it. So, I mean, it's like, and then other people die. Yeah. But, so you say, just don't know. But um, I think the game of golf, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that they're out here playing. And I think that uh, at least we're outside. I mean, that's the only blessing. Yeah. So coaching uh, at coaching at Sherwood is that right? Yeah, so Sherwood is a really nice club, and you know, so and then I run around LA too. I get LACC Lakeside, see some clients there as well. So it's a little, you know, what I, I look at as long as I get my workout in in the morning, yeah, and a little bit of practice during the day, I'm good, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm satisfied. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, that's the most important part to me. You bumped into my guy uh, Eric Anders Lang last year. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you give Eric a few uh, 
few tips? Yeah, I gave him a couple of pointers. You know, he's I think he's seen everyone, so <laughs> he's probably <laughs> he probably he'll be he'll he'll get something. I mean he's playing a lot of golf, so he's gonna get better. He is. Well, he's got a he's got a good swing, he's got a good action. Who who are the coaches yeah. uh, before we wrap up, mate? I appreciate your time a lot. Who are the coaches that you sort of look up to and look towards and you know, like like their sort of concept? I see you speak to George yeah. George G a bit. I mean it, yeah, so and, and Jeff Smith, I had a lesson. So I'd, I'd go around and have lessons from guys, yeah. you know. And I, I like it because obviously I'm getting ready to, to play a little bit more, but I want to kind of understand. So Genkers has got a lot – I think it gets misunderstood a little bit because he, it's so radical, the moves. I think he could teach – he could actually teach regular moves as well. Uh, you know, Jeff Smith is an interesting coach. You know, a, a lot more guys like getting deeper and rotating through. And I mean, I'm a little less of that in my swing. But, uh, you know, I think you've got a new wave of young teachers. And I think the, the thing is what they've got to deal with is understanding the game a little bit more, maybe than just the technical part of it. You know, because as you know, in the end, you're standing out on the fairway. There's, there's a lot of factors, everything from pressure to wind to firmness of greens, to and there's a lot of sensory that needs to be engaged. And I think some of these young kids are missing out on that because they're looking at a track man and look at numbers the whole time instead of understanding that you make your body makes so many minor adjustments all the time as you're playing. And I think you see some of the better players they use the equipment and track man and stuff for what they need for a few minutes. They're not checking it 24/7. You know. Yeah. Because there's plenty of factors that come in there. So you mentioned low and deep there. Do you, it's obviously a thing, but you know, do you think that that's a, a concept that will just stay with us and you'll see more people go to that sort of low, deep and real heavy rotation type movement or it's just someone's thing and if you, if you sort of go towards that, that's what you'll go towards? Because it just seems to be two, two sort of schools, you know, almost like two schools. I don't know if that's the right way to, to describe it. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I feel like I've always felt like, uh, you know, you're rotating against the ground and these guys are, you know, they're obviously, that's why they have to get the club so deep because as much as they rotate, it's the only way they can go, you know? So, but, uh, you know, there, there's, there's different ways of getting it done. And I think it, it's, it's got to be a little up to the player too. Like I could not rotate as much as they're trying to do. I mean, it just doesn't work for me. I need to be a little bit more lateral into the, that's just the way I play. I'm, I'm a more upper body player, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and I think you've got to just find your concepts and find your feels and obviously eliminate one side of the golf course, whatever that takes. And then, you know, really it comes down to really, can you hit a long straight drive and can you chip and putt good? If you've got those three things, you know, as much as people practice, you're going to hit good iron shots as well, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's really what it what it comes down to is those long straight drives, chip and putt. You're going to make money playing golf. Yes, yeah, I agree, and I'm not qualified to give any swing advice, um, but I can do one of those three disciplines. And when I do give some advice to the people that I get to deal with on a on a fairly frequent basis in terms of selling them golf equipment and helping them make the right decisions around that, uh, and they talk about their practice, I do always say. 100 yards in, just practice that. Not just practice that, but, you know, put your focus on there. Don't go to the range. Yeah. Don't go to the range and, and belt through 150 balls with a driver. 
you know, find somewhere where you can go and work on that 100 in. And, no, no, exactly. Take it, take it, take it from my, you know, my experience, but um, because uh, that's what that's what keeps me as a four handicapper, not being able to get that uh, those other two disciplines inside that hundred working as well. As you know, because that's one of the things that uh, keeps me chatting to you. Um, yeah, trying to work on that short game, man. No, no exactly, and I, and I think it's you know. And developing, and, and it's all hours, you know, you, you get a decent technique going, and then it's better practicing. And even if you, even at my level, you know, if I don't practice it all the time, it's not going to be that great, you know. It just takes takes hours of practice. You've got to put the reps in, eh? Yeah, that's what it is. And, uh, but, you know, some people like that, some people don't like it. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, I, I feel like I could go out and hit chips for four hours and be quite happy. You know, some other people get bored after 30 minutes. So it's like, um, you know, and, 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 I, and I think I used to practice in fear, you know. <laughs> I mean, half the time, you know, you're practicing like crazy because you don't want to fail. That, that was one of the things too. Just in closing, Tanya Tare, how, how good is she? Yeah, she's pretty crazy. I don't know how often you get to, uh, get to hang out with Tanya Tare. Do you, do you get blown away by watching a girl with that amount of talent? and the things that she can do? Yeah, but you know what? She practices like crazy. Yeah. You know? She really works hard at what she does, but she's got some crazy moods. But um, she works hard at it. But I, I do hang out with her quite a bit. Very good, mate. Very good. Well, I really do appreciate all of your insights, catching up about some old times between you and I, your concepts on, on coaching, especially that uh, the value and your thoughts around the, the kids. I think that's a really important part and a legacy that, that you can leave. And if anyone's listening to this, you know, if it gives someone a little bit of an insight into how to deal with a young developing golfer, you know, there you've heard it from one of the best. It's been great to catch up with you. We could chat for a bit more, but uh, I'll, no, no, I'll I, I really appreciate you even having me on and thinking about me. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the best. And now, sorry, I couldn't connect with you last time I was down there. I was on a, such a crazy schedule that I was hurting around a lot of people. I can, no, I can see that. I, can, I, I got that, that sense. That was very clear. And uh, it looked, as much as of a great time, you, you, you looked like you were having, it looked like you had your hands full with uh, a lot of people. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Thank you again. Gabriel Hurst said, great to catch up with you. Thank you, sir. Bye.